Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Amen. A 19th century proverb says this, the bird with the broken pinion never serves, soars as high again. The idea behind this proverb is that if, if you uh, fail in some way or if you make a mistake, that you'll never soar to the heights that maybe you once did. Sadly, I think that, that for many people that becomes their experience and they, they feel as if, if they struggle, if they make a mistake, if they fail in some way, that that's it. It's over. Whatever dream they have, whatever thought they have, whatever area they were moving to, that, that, that's the end. That, that's it. And, uh, and sadly, I think that, that oftentimes people come away saying, you know what? I had my chance. I blew it. I blew it. That opportunity of a lifetime came and I didn't capture it at the moment. It came and it went. Or, you know, I picked the wrong path. I I picked the wrong horse. I said the wrong things. I have nothing left in my life but regrets. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. I believe that that sometimes failure can be one of those things or or when we make mistakes can be one of those things that that holds us back. One of those things that keeps us from, from truly moving forward in the things that God has for our lives. In fact, it can become one of those things that trips us up in life and, uh, and, and, and we find ourselves where we've made a mistake or have a regret that that continues to come up. How many know that Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, right? He loves to accuse and, and that's what he does. He reminds us continually of how we don't measure up or ways in which we've made mistakes. But today I want to encourage you. Today, I want to encourage you that if you've, if you've made some poor decisions, if you've had something in your life, a failure or a mistake in your life, then failure isn't final. In fact, as we continue our series reset today, that is going to be the focus. That's the title of the message today is that failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. Your guilt and your shame and your insecurities and your fear don't have to hold you back from what God wants to do in your life. And today, that's what we're going to dive into. I want to encourage you that God has not finished writing your story yet. Your failure is not final. And that's one of the remarkable things that we see over and over again in scripture. God's word is full of people who have failed. Think about probably one of the the greatest people of faith, oftentimes considered the father of our faith, Father Abraham, right? He lied on two different occasions, and yet God still used his life and blessed him. And he he also had that, not only that blessing, but he had became what was known as an intimate relationship and friend with God. Even with that broken pinion, Abraham soared higher perhaps than anyone else had ever before. Last week we talked about Jacob, right? Deceiver, swindler. He, 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 he was not really kind to his brother who came in and tricked him, to, deceived him into selling his, his birthright and, and, and utilizing this, this hunger to, to get his birthright for a, a bowl of stew and then deceived his father out of the blessing. 
Come on, he was a swindler, despicable things, and yet God used him and raised him up to such high heights, so much more that his name, Jacob, couldn't contain the very glory that God wanted to bring, and so he changed his name to Israel, right? Powerful things. God's word is full of stories like this. The, unmostly, the most unlikely people who are broken, and, and yet at the same time, God chooses to use as instruments for his kingdom. So today, as we continue this reset series, we're going to look at a popular section of scripture in the Old Testament. We're going to look in Exodus today. So if you have a copy of God's word, uh, turn to Exodus, or you can follow along either on the screen or the app notes in our app today. We got that fixed. So if you were struggling with our app, we did get that repaired and and, uh, that's working again. So you should be able to find the notes on there. And we're going to look at the life of Moses. Anybody ever heard of Moses before? Yeah, we're going to look at the life of Moses. Moses' story began early on when his mother, uh, she was was a a Hebrew slave, servant in Egypt, and the Egyptian pharaoh was tired of seeing uh, the Hebrew people grow. And so he, he made an edict that, that all of the baby boys either had to be killed or thrown into the Nile River. In fact, we read about it in Exodus one twenty two. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy in the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. And she tried to hide Moses away for a while. She didn't want to follow that edict. And so rather than just pick him up and toss him and throw him in the Nile, she decided she'd kind of half obey. And so she kind of put this little basket together and, 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 and weave these things and, and, and put the pitch in there so that it would float. And she, she put him into that basket and she floated him down the river. And Moses' sister began to, to stay nearby and watch what's going to happen. What's happening to him? And as that baby began to to cry and, and was down the river, God alerted one of Pharaoh's daughters, a princess, right, of the kingdom, a princess of Pharaoh. And she heard this little baby uh, crying and she drew him out of the water and she had compassion on him. And she said, I'll adopt him. He'll be my own. Moses' sister just happened, just happened, right? Don't you love divine coincidences? Just happened to be nearby, right? And, 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 and she says to Pharaoh's daughter, if I may, I know this is a Hebrew uh, little baby boy. I, I can take him back and have one of the, the Hebrew ladies nurse him and raise him until he's weaned and ready to go. And she said, yeah, go ahead and do that. And so Moses' mother received him back again. Isn't that just like the Lord? Then in a moment when we want to hold on, he says, let go. And if you let go, I'll bring him back. That's extra. Somebody needs that today. Somebody you've been struggling with letting go. I'm just sensing that in my spirit. Somebody you've been sensing you, there, there is something to let go. Maybe it's your child. You've just been wrestling with a wayward child. And God says, if you'll give him, you give him or her to me, I'll bring him back. Ooh, sit on that for a moment. I'll just let that sit for a moment. And it says this, Exodus 2.10, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own. And the princess named him Moses for explain, 
I lifted him out of the water, drew him out of the water. That's really where he got his name from. And so he was raised not only by his mother early on and, 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 and understood, but he was raised in, in the palace. He was raised in all the greatest education and the wealth that Egypt had to offer. He was not a slave, but he was in the palace, adopted uh, into that. And, and uh, yet there was something inside of him. For 40 years, he had, he had been able to live in the palace and live with the education and live live while his people were stuck as slaves, but, but it began to get to him and there was a, a burden inside of him for the mistreatment of his people. That was something that was inside. He couldn't take it any longer. And in Exodus chapter two, verses 11 and 12, it says many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. There was a, there was a desire, there was a, a passion, there was something inside of Moses. The call that was upon Moses' life happened early on. And he was positioned in a place to make a difference. But rather than do it the way that God would have done it, he allowed his anger and his passion, he allowed his desire to take matters into his own hands. And in his own way, he looked around, I don't see anybody coming. And he killed that Egyptian and hit him. Well, how many of you know you can't hide things from God? Right Later on, he, he went out, he saw two of his own uh, Hebrew slaves that were fighting, and he got in between them, hey, don't, don't do this. And they said, who are you to be judge over us? Who are you to be judge over us? And he realized the word was out when they said, are you going to kill us like you did that, that Egyptian? He realized the word was out. And so Moses had a problem. He had a problem. He had reacted in a way that... That, that did not put him in a position to do what God had called him to do. In fact, he had failed. He had, he had murdered someone. And now regret was setting in. Now fear was setting in. What are the consequences going to be? How is this, how, how this going to be perceived? And, and, and it says this in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. How I many you know decisions have consequences, don't they? Our decisions have consequences, and Moses' reaction led him to 40 years of wandering himself in the wilderness, 40 years of, of settling. The call is over. That chapter of my life is done. I can't go back. I can't fix it anymore. I just have to accept it. You ever found that sometimes when you, when you make a mistake and the consequences of the decisions, you find yourself settling in, this is just the way it is. I guess this is just the way it is going to be. I'm going to pick up the pieces and I'm just going to do this. I can't do that anymore. That was a dream. That was, that was far but gone. Now, this is my lot. This is where I'm going to live. And he begins to settle. 40 years of settling. Having fled to Midian, the next 40 years find him as an obscure, poor, and simple shepherd and nobody. And the idea that at 80 years old now, he was 40 when he committed the murder, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, at 80 years old, this gray-haired, bearded man, to think that, that somehow his life was ever going to reset at this time, it must be over. But God, right? But God. You ever, you ever settled? Maybe you're living a life where you've settled. Maybe things just haven't gone the way you and thought they would go. 
You, you had some dreams when, when you were younger, dreams of what you were going to do. Maybe when you first came to know Christ, you had dreams of, of, of a call and what God might do and, and where your life might be. And your life isn't where it should be. You found yourself settling. You settled for some things in your life. You settled for some things. And you just kind of been wandering around and settling. And, and, and now God might be stirring up inside of you something. And you say, no, that can't be. And oh, I can't. That can't be. I can't do that. And you just want to. You want to shove that down a little bit. I want to tell you that God might want to do a reset for some of you that have found yourself in a place of settling, settling for something that is second. And the meanwhile, while you've been wandering and while you've been settling, God's been preparing you for this time of reset in your life. The word reset means to set again or set differently, to set again or differently. God wasn't finished with Moses and friends. God's not finished with you. Your failure isn't final. Failure isn't final. God did a reset in Moses' life. And today I want to share with you some reasons why, three reasons why failure isn't final. Three reasons why failure doesn't have to be final in your life. The first is this failure isn't final when you give God your attention. Failure isn't final when you give God your attention. Moses' reset moment begins with an ordinary day. It's an ordinary day. He's on the backside of the wilderness. He's leading the sheep. He's, he's, he's coming around and, and leading the sheep just on an ordinary day. He's not looking for God. He's not searching for God. He's not thinking, today things are going to change in my life. He's not thinking, today I'm going to have some encounter with God. He's just wandering, doing what he did every single day. And that is leading the sheep to a place of pasture. He's out in the wilderness doing what he did every day in an ordinary day, and yet God met him in an extraordinary way. An ordinary day. One day, it says this, Exodus 3, one day Moses was tending the flock. One day of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God, and there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the middle of a bush, and Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. <laughs> see, God shows up in an unusual way. He uses ordinary things, but in, 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 in extraordinary ways. This was, this was not an uncommon thing in the desert, in the wilderness, for a, a dry bush all of a sudden by the, by the sun to, to catch fire. That wasn't a new thing. Occasionally that would happen. You'd be wandering in a bush. I'm sure there's not the first bush that Moses saw was on fire. The difference with this bush is, is that as he stopped for a minute and looked at it, it didn't burn up. And, and that piqued a holy curiosity in him. That piqued a curiosity in him. Why is this different? Why in this, what seems to be ordinary, this doesn't seem to be so ordinary. This seems to be a little, a, a little, uh, not, not so ordinary. This seems to be something that is kind of out of the ordinary. Pay attention to those moments where things that normally would be ordinary all of a sudden are not so ordinary, out of the ordinary. It just may be that God wants to do something. It just may be that God's trying to get your attention. God was trying to get his attention. And so what did Moses do? Moses' curiosity was piqued. And the Bible says this. The Bible says here in, in Exodus chapter 3 that Moses said to himself, Why isn't that bush burning up? Verse 3, I must go see it. I must go see it. 
In verse 4, it says that when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied, notice that when Moses turned his attention and began to go in for a closer look, that's when God spoke to him. There are times when we don't hear God speak to us because quite frankly, we don't give God our attention. We're not paying attention. We are going through the ordinary days of our life, oftentimes the the life that we've settled for, the things that we've settled in, we're going around the ordinary things and God is bringing some things that are out of ordinary and we just keep pressing through. I think in January of 2022, we need to be a people that starts paying attention. Paying attention to the little things that God is doing that are out of the ordinary that he may want to use to arrest and get our attention. I think that for some, God is trying to get your attention and has been trying to get your attention, but you've been head down. And rather than turn and give God your attention and have a holy curiosity, God, what are you going to do? If you will do that, God will speak to you. God will speak to you. God sometimes uses trials and troubles to get our attention. We go, why? Why are you doing this? And God is saying, I'm doing this because I want to get your attention. You've gotten a little too comfortable. You've been trusting in yourself a little too much. I want to get a hold of you. I want to capture your attention. I think of, of in Genesis. I think of Abraham's nephew, Lot. Yeah, you heard a lot. Remember, they, they came back from Egypt the first time that Abraham lied and, and was kind of humiliated. And they came back and they came back to that area, the land of Canaan. And, and, and both of their, their flocks and herds were growing. And there was some conflict, right? And Abraham said, well, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And if you go to the north, I'll go to the south, the east, the west. And Lot looked at the well-watered plains of the Jordan. He said, I want that. And he went down there and lived in the plains of the Jordan, but it was near the cities, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And while he's down living near Sodom and Gomorrah, God allowed for an army to come in and an army to take Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of Sodom captive, and they carried Lot and his family along with them. And Abraham heard about it and he prayed to God and he said, God, what do you want me to do? And God said, I will be with you. I'll give you my favor. So he gathered some others with him who were willing to go and they went and they got, they, 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 they went and they rescued Lot and they rescued the people of Sodom and they brought them back and all of that. And, and Abraham refused to take any of the wealth, but they brought them back. That was a moment to get Lot's attention. But rather than get Lot's attention, rather than Lot pay attention and go, you know, I know this is well watered and everything, but this might not be the best place for me and my family right now. Instead, Lot moves closer to Sodom. In fact, he's at the city gate. He's giving his daughters in marriage to some of the the men of the city of Sodom. And later on, that results in the destruction of Sodom and literally the destruction of his family. He loses his wife in the process. Why? Because he didn't pay attention when God was trying to get his attention. God will use circumstances to get your attention. And you can either move closer to him or you can continue to move away and closer to sin. Closer to sin brings destruction. Closer to God brings a reset. That time was an opportunity for a reset in Lot's life and Lot didn't take it. 
pay attention because God might want to do a reset in your life. In your life. In fact, when, 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 when Moses moves a little closer and begins to give God his attention, he realizes that this is what I call a holy moment. It's a holy moment. You don't know in the ordinary days of your life when God wants to bring a holy moment, a holy encounter in your life. Fact, Exodus 3, 5, he's told this, do not come any closer to the Lord, Warren. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Moses found himself in a holy moment. Friends, when we give God our attention, it's not, it's not out of the ordinary that we'll find ourselves in a holy moment, an encounter with God where God says, this is a moment where I want to speak to you. This is a moment where I want to do something in you. Consecrate yourself. Get yourself ready. Prepare your heart. Prepare your, prepare your heart because I'm about to speak to you. This is, a, this is a holy moment, a holy encounter with God. Reset moments, friends, are, are sparked by holy moments with God. Jacob's reset moment began with a staircase to heaven where he, he renamed the place Bethel, house of God. Why? Because, because he, had, he, had, he had failed. He had make it, made his own mistakes. He had deceived his father. He had, he had lost everything. And now this homebody had to be on a journey. We talked about it last week. But on the way, he had a holy moment with God, a staircase in which angels were ascending and descending from heaven. And he recognized it as the house of God. Friends, I'm going to tell you that some of us need a holy moment. Some of us need an encounter with God, an encounter with God to spark a reset in our lives. He had another holy moment when we talked about it last week when he was wrestling with God, when he was wrestling with God. Friends, for, for Gideon, he had a holy moment when he was fearfully treading, treading out grain in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord drew him out and spoke to him and, and called him out of a, a wine press in fear, in fear. There was a holy moment with God and fear. Isaiah had a holy moment with God when suddenly he found himself in the very presence of God and the train of, 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 of the king's robe filled the temple and he found himself saying, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. That ought to be all of our cry in the presence of God. If you don't have that kind of a cry, when you encounter the presence of God, perhaps there's pride in your life. That's extra. Woe is me. And the Lord said, who's going to go for me? Whom shall I send and who will go for me? Here am I, send me. It was a moment in his life. It was a holy moment in his life. How about Peter? Peter and the his brother Andrew and James and John, they're out fishing all night and they've caught nothing. They're cleaning their nets. Jesus comes by and uses their boat to begin to teach. And then he says to them, hey, push out a little bit from shore and let your nets down again. What? You're not a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. No, let, let down your nets again. We've, we fished all night. We caught nothing. But because you say so, we'll do it. They threw their nets down again and their nets were full of fish so much that they, the nets were breaking. They couldn't, even, they couldn't even carry it. Peter comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus. Woe is me. I'm a sinner. Woe is me. I'm a sinner. 
a holy moment, a holy moment in the midst of an ordinary night of catching nothing, fruitlessness, catching absolutely nothing. But at the very word of Jesus, he says, if you'll pay attention, go out and throw the nets down again, for I'm about to do something. Friends, I'm telling you, God wants to do something, but we've got to give him our attention. The problem is we're so scattered and we're so busy and our schedules are so full that we don't give a God our attention. We don't spend time with the Lord. We don't spend time personally with the Lord. If this is the only time you ever spend time with God, it's when you come to church on a Sunday every other week or once a month then you will not ever be in a holy moment where God can get your attention it can happen in a moment like this but you've got to have regular times where you pull away and you give God your attention that's the way in which God begins a reset in your life with a holy moment and an encounter with him secondly Failure isn't final when you give God your excuses. Failure isn't final when you give God your excuses. Those of you that grew up in Sunday school, you knew I was going to get to the excuses, didn't you? You've been waiting on it. You said, I heard messages on this. Don't tune me out. Man, I heard these my whole life, and I'm going to be honest with you. This week when I was in, in my time of study and prayer, God just dropped some things that into my spirit. Maybe you're more spiritual than me, and you already know this stuff, and if that's the case, then so be it. Let it be a reminder. All right, but there's some good things, man. God, God tells him, I'm aware. I'm aware of the harsh treatment. I'm aware of what the Israelites are going through. I, that, that burden you once felt, I'm aware of that. I, I've seen that. I know for 400 years, it seems like I have not intervened and I'm not answered, but I've, I've not been unaware. I am aware. I am aware of what's happening, Moses, and I'm calling you. I'm calling you. Look at verse 9 of Exodus 3. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Hey, Moses, it's time to get back in the game. Hey, Moses, I'm calling you up. I'm calling you up from the minor leagues. It's time to get back in the game. It's time. I'm calling you. I'm calling you. You thought you were disqualified. You're, you, you're not disqualified. I'm, I'm qualifying you again. And I've been qualifying you. And I've been preparing you. You've been settling and you've been wandering. But I'm about to do a reset in your life. I'm calling you. It's been a while, but I'm calling you. And what really jumped out at me is that Moses was the answer to the prayers of so many people who had said, God, rescue us. God, where are you? God, rescue us. Moses was God's chosen instrument to be the answer to their prayers. My question for you is, are you the answer to some people's prayers? Some people who have been crying out to God and God saying, I've heard their cry. I've seen them bound in sin. I've seen what the devil has done in wrecking their lives and wrecking their family. And I'm calling you, will you go for me? Will you be the answer to their prayers as they've been crying out? I'm calling you to get in the game. I'm calling you to be that answer. You ever thought about that? When you're ministering to somebody, when you're encouraging somebody, when you're leading someone to faith, do you happen to know that maybe you're the answer to grandma's prayers who was praying for them? To mama's prayers who was down on her knees praying for them? And God says, well, mama wasn't able to reach them. But you know what? I'm calling you. You're the answer to that prayer. You might be the answer to that prayer. Ooh, there's a whole sermon that could be preached on that, right? Moses, I'm offering you a second chance. I'm offering you a second chance. It is time for a reset 
in your life. And Moses goes, oh, I don't think I want this. Right? I, there's some reasons, God. It's not, you're not calling me. And I think these are common excuses that sometimes hold us back and keep us stuck rather than, than a reset. Four excuses that keep us stuck from a reset. First, I'm incapable. Moses protested, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead these people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm not qualified for the job. I'm not qualified to do this. I don't have the qualifications. Why would you pick me? There's a whole lot of other people you can pick, right? I mean, just pick Pastor Aaron. Let Pastor Aaron go do it. I, who am I? I can't do it. Listen, listen, God is calling you. God is calling you, Moses, and I'm not qualified. I, I, I can't do this. I, I tried that once and I failed. Why would you select me again? I already tried that and it didn't work out. And I think that there's a lesson here. I think that, that when you're self-appointed, when Moses first did this, he was kind of self-appointed. He, he knew that there was a burden. He felt the burden and the need. But the problem was that he tried to do it in his own way and in his own strength. And I think that when, you're, when you kind of self-appoint yourself and you rush into something and you react to something and you do something in the flesh, then yes, there is not fruitfulness. But Moses is about to learn a, a lesson. And that is when God calls you, it's not about your capability, it's about your availability. It's not about your capability, it's about your availability. You don't have to have confidence in yourself, you just have to remember who's with you. You have to remember who is with you. Moses, anyway, I mean, you want to talk about capability. You want to talk about capability. Who, who, who was better qualified? Somebody who was a Hebrew themselves, who had been raised by a Hebrew mother early on, and then got a chance to get to know everything about the Egyptian culture, had the highest of education, had, had, had a chance to see the ins and the outs, and to know who was more qualified than that. And then, when you really consider the fact that he spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness leading sheep, he learned this area of humility, and he learned, even in the midst of his failure, God began to teach him and train him how to be a shepherd, not of sheep, but how to shepherd my people Israel. God brought him out from the place of privilege. Remember, in the land of Goshen, that's where the Israelites had to be because they were shepherds. Because to the Egyptians, shepherds were, ooh, they were yuck, they were ah. Uh. So Moses was maybe raised in the palace and a little too privileged. But now he had the opportunity for 40 years to learn what it was like to be a shepherd. There was nobody more qualified. But see, Moses' qualification was self-confidence. And it's not about self-confidence. It's not about confidence in yourself. It's about confidence in God. It's not about your capability. It's not about whether, whether you're capable or not. It's about whether you're available or not. God answers this way. Verse 12, I will be with you. I will be with you. Moses says, I'm incapable. God says, I'm proximal. I'm close to you. I'm substantial. I'm with you. I'm next to you. Here's the principle. Moses, it's not who you are, but it's who's with you. If I'm not with you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how qualified you are. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter. If, if I'm not with you, it doesn't matter. What really matters more than anything else is whether I'm with you or not. God's presence is the issue. 
And later in his life, when Moses is frustrated and and God's frustrated with the people and and he had come down from the mountain, remember, and there's the golden calf incident and all of that and and Moses angry and God's angry and they go up in the presence of the Lord and there's disobedience. God says this in Exodus 33, 3. He says, go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. I'm not going to travel among you for you're stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I'd surely destroy you along the way. God is just frustrated with the people of Israel. And he says, you know what? I'm done. I'm just going to destroy you. You know what? You go up. Go head up. Go head up. I'll give you the land because that's what I promised Abraham and all of them. That's what I promised them. But I'm not going with you. You go into it. Fine. Go into it. I'll give it to you. But I'm not going with you. And Moses learned the value of what it is through his time. He learned the value of God's presence. Exodus 33, 15, he, Moses says this, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. There is a lesson that Moses learned, and that is that having God with you is more important than any capability. It's more important than any power. It's more important than any talent. It's more important than any promise. You, having God with you is more important. We gotta learn how to value God's presence. We've got to learn how to value having God with us. We, we, can't, we can't want to move forward without God. If we want to take hold in a, of a reset that God wants to do in our lives, we've got to learn how to value his presence above everything else. May we not just want God's power and promises without his presence. I'm going to say that again. Because I think sometimes that's what we want. When we pray, we want God's promises in his word. And we want to see God's power work in our lives. But there are so many times where we could care less about his presence. May we not want God's promises. May we not want God's power unless we have an intimate relationship and his presence with us. Moses learned what it meant to be a friend of God. The second excuse Moses said is, I'm unknowledgeable. I don't know enough. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask, what's his name? What do I tell them? What do I tell them? Who do I tell them? I I don't know enough. I I don't even really know who you are. You got to remember, Moses grew up in Egypt, and in Egypt, there was a, a pantheon of gods. The Egyptians worshipped the pantheons of gods. They were, they were, they were readily identifiable. There was Apis, who was the, the god of the bull, the bull god. There was Ra, the god of the sun. There was Orisis, who was, who was the, uh, the god of the Nile River. Uh, Osiris, I guess it is, or Osiris, I don't know how you say that. There was Heget, the frog goddess, right? Frog goddess, how about that? There was a crocodile god. There were all of those. In fact, if you look at the plagues, they're really, they're really against who Egypt trusted in in terms of their gods, if you, if you read on. That's a little extra. There were plenty of gods. And so you have this Hebrew Moses, but he's growing up in Egypt. And, and there's, a, there's a pantheon of different gods. So who are you? And who do I say has sent me? Who are you? God already said who he was. I'm the God of Abraham, the God, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he says, I am. This time he just simply says, I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. I am. I am. I am. Moses is in this identity crisis, but, but God is saying, I am. I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. I am. 
Remember those stories, Moses? Remember those stories your mama used to tell you when you were just a little boy? Remember those stories you, you heard about your, your, your great, 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 great grandfather whose name was Abraham? Remember he wanted a child and he and Sarah were barren and, and, and I had promised them and it wasn't happening and wasn't happening, but they continued to have faith and they continued to believe. And at a hundred years old and 90 years old for Sarah, and they, they were able to have a baby. How about that? What they said and others, others said was impossible. It wasn't impossible with me. Why? Because I am. I am. It's not impossible with me. I am. I am. I'm the same God that appeared to Abraham. I'm the same God that appeared to Isaac. I'm the same God that appeared, that appeared to Jacob. I know it's been a long time. I know it's been about 400 years, but you got to understand and remember that I am. I am. I am the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I did it before, I can do it again. You say, I'm a knowledgeable God. What an excuse. God says, I am. You don't have to know it all. You just have to know me. I am. I am. I am. I'm going to begin a new chapter. You know, we make so many excuses. God, I don't know enough. God, I don't have enough answers. God, I, how can I follow you? God, how can I do this? How, how is this ever going to come about? I just continue to struggle and fail with the same things over and over. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't think I know enough. I don't think I can do this. And God says, stop making excuses. I am. I am. I am. If you want to reset in your life, you got to drop the excuse of not having enough knowledge. Knowledge is something that you can gain when you begin to get to know God. And throughout his life, Moses began to get to know God. Throughout his life, Moses didn't just, didn't just lead the people, but he learned this intimacy and this intimate relationship with God. When he would come out and there would be a tent, he would literally go and he would spend time with God to where the cloud that represented the presence of God would come and hover over the tent. Moses learned how to spend time with God. And throughout his time, throughout the time of leading the people, he began to gain a knowledge of God that he wasn't going to get simply by wandering around as a shepherd in the wilderness. As you begin a reset with God and you begin to get in his presence, you're going to find as you value his presence, so your knowledge of who he is grows from just not knowing about him, but truly knowing him, knowing him intimately. So much so that Exodus 33, 11 says that inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. The knowledge of God becomes so much more intimate when we drop this excuse. Thirdly, he said, I'm fearful. Moses protested again, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid they won't believe me. I'm afraid you're not going to come through. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of having these conversations. I, I mean, I failed and, and, and before I went to them and they didn't want me and they rejected me. What if rejection happens? Fear of rejection Fear of failure. What, what, what if that happens? Fear, 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 right? That's self-protection mode, isn't it? I, I, you know, I, I think I'd rather just stay where I'm at because where I'm at is safe. Where I'm at, I know. If I step out and I begin to share my faith or I step out and I begin to live the way you want me to, maybe I'll get rejected. My family might reject me. My friends might reject me. People might not accept what I say. I, I may fail. And we, we struggle with this area of fear in our lives like Moses did. And sometimes we don't want to restart in our life and we don't change because of fear. 
Fear of future failure, fear of rejection, fear that comes from, from the unknown. And so God gives him a little object lesson. Exodus 4, 2 through 4, then the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied, throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw the staff on the ground and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back and the Lord told him, reach out and grab it by its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Shepherds carry two things, your rod and your staff, right? A rod and a staff. Rod for protection against, uh, you know, uh, wolves or, or anything that would come. They also would use it to inspect the sheep, but mainly as a protection and, and a staff. The staff to be there to, to help guide as you walk, to help pull the sheep back and, and, and draw them in closer to you. These were, these were areas of comfort and security. Psalm 23, thy, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. These were, these were areas of comfort and security. And God was saying, the things that you hang on to for comfort and security, I want you to throw them down. The things that you hang on to for comfort and security, I want you to throw them down. Those things that you're hanging on to, you've got to release. Because in order for you to see what I can do in and through your life, you've first got to let go of what you've been hanging on to for comfort and security. You've got to let it go and you've got to trust me and watch what I do with it. God transformed the ordinary staff into a snake. Moses jumped back. You want to talk about fear? And God says, grab it by the tail. I don't think I want to grab a snake by the tail. I don't like snakes. I'm not doing that. The moment he put his hands on it again, it became ordinary. But out of his hands, it was extraordinary. There are things that we're hanging on to as our place of security as our place of safety. And God says, in order for you to embrace the reset that I want to do in your life, you've got to let go of what you're hanging on to for security. And you've got to learn how to trust and embrace me. You've got to see what I can do when you begin to turn it over and leave it in my hands. Come on, somebody. Fourthly, he said, I'm unsuitable. Moses said this. He pleaded with the Lord in verse 10 of chapter 4. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been. And, and, and I'm not now, even though I, that, that you have, even, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied with my words and get tangled. Moses saying, Lord, I don't have the natural qualifications for this. I'm unsuitable for this job. I, I, I can't do it. Now I struggle with this because I was, I was reading Stephen's speech earlier in, in, in Acts chapter seven. And this is what Stephen, when Stephen was about to be stoned, he's, he's kind of given the history of, 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 of Israel. And in verse 22, he says, Moses taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. So who's lying? <laughs> the, the Holy Spirit through Stephen? <laughs> or Moses recounting of himself? Right? I, I know that, that some translations talk about Moses having a stutter. I've heard those things before. Moses having a difficult time speaking and, and those kind of things. But, but one of the things that, that, that I read and that, that details some ancient documents that were in Egypt, you were considered uh, premium to the, to the Egyptians when you had an eloquence to you. And I, and I happen to think that, that, that Moses knew that from growing up and knew the expectation that if you're going to come in the presence of Pharaoh, you better have an eloquence to you. But after 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness and the only person to talk to was sheep, he probably thought, you know, I've kind of lost a little bit of that edge. I, I don't think I have that anymore. 
I, I don't think I can go do that anymore. And I'm not sure I'm going to know exactly what to say and, and, and how to say it. And, and I, just, I just don't feel like I'm the person. I'm, I'm unsuitable for this. I've been with sheep for 40 years. I'm not going to go march myself into Pharaoh's, into Pharaoh's court. What am I going to say? Right? I, I think that there's sometimes we, we have that self-talk. We talk ourselves out of something before it's ever begun. I can't do that. I'm not the right person for this. I can't do that. You ever have that self-talk? And you talk yourself through certain events, certain things that are going to happen. What if? What if I go there and I say this and they don't believe me? What if I do this? We, we struggle. Do you struggle with self-talk? I struggle sometimes with self-talk. I'll just be honest with you. And, and in the midst of all of this, God says, whoa, 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 Moses. Hey, Moses, it, it, this, this, isn't, this isn't about you because in my weakness, in your weakness, I'm, I, I, it was where you're going to find strength. I know Paul said that later on in Corinthians. But that's what we see over and over again is that oftentimes God uses the areas where we think we're unsuitable, the areas where we're weak so that he gets the glory, right? Come on. He gets the glory. Good. That's perfect, right? The Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not hear? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, now go, I'll be with you as you speak, and I'll instruct you in what to say. If God can make a donkey speak to Balaam, God can put words in your mouth. That's what being, that's what being a prophet is. God putting words in your mouth. God putting words in your mouth. He said to the disciples, don't go unprepared. Just get whatever the Holy Spirit tells. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes us suitable when we feel unsuitable. We just need to be obedient. Moses just needed to be obedient to God. And that's what brings us to the final reason. And, and I'm getting ready to land the plane, but I got to give one more why failure isn't final. We got to get rid of our excuses. We got to give our attention to God. But finally, really, what's most important is you've got to give God your surrender. Because look at, look at, finally, after all this, God's going back and forth. Four excuses, four excuses, four excuses. Here's this. No, not this. Huh? Hey, God, what about this? Who do I tell them has sent me? Who, who are you? There's all these other gods. Who are you? Moses, you don't have to worry about I am. I, 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 I'm not, I can't do this. I don't have the capability to do this. You know what? I'm going with you. I'm going with you. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, don't, think I, I don't think I have what it takes. Throw your staff down. Throw, throw your staff down, embrace me. I, I'm, not, I'm not suitable. What, this time, what did God, Moses said, Lord, please send someone else. Can I tell you that when it really comes down to it, our excuses are really a mask for what the real problem is in our heart, and that is simply we don't want to do what God is asking us to do. The, the real problem is rebellion. The real problem is disobedience. You can cover it over and you can put all the excuses out there, but man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart and the Lord already knows that among all the other excuses that you're given, he has an answer for all of them. But what it really comes down to is, will I surrender and obey and do what God is asking me to do? Or will I continue to resist? Moses says, God, when it comes down to it, I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to go. I, I just don't want to do this. And you see, if you want to reset in your life, it really, really right here is where the rubber meets the road. And it comes down to, will you surrender to God? Will you say yes to God? Will you say yes? Moses saying, nope, I don't want to go. Thank God for his grace, right? 
Thank God that he doesn't let us get away with that. I think if you persist in disobedience long enough, God does. Romans chapter 1, the end, is a pretty good example of that. When people deny all the knowledge of him and knowing him, and he gives them over. Gives them over to their sin. May God not give us over to our sin, but really, friends, what it comes down to it is in our heart, are our hearts hardened to the things of God? Are our hearts hardened in disobedience and rebellion to what God wants to do? Are we finally willing to open up and to, to lift up our hands and say, God, I surrender. God, I surrender. God, I surrender my excuses. I, I surrender all the reasons I don't want. God, I need you to change my heart. I need you to turn my heart back to you. It finally come down to, to surrender because if you want a better future, if you want a reset in your life, it really comes down to surrender. It really comes down to surrender. God got angry with Moses, but offered graciously support. You know what? I'm going to bring your brother along to help you. How about that? How about if I do that? I'll bring your brother along. But Moses, I'm not taking no for an answer. And friends, I'm going to tell you that God is after you and he doesn't want to take no for an answer. He's waiting for you to give him your surrender. He's waiting for you to give him your surrender. In order to embrace the reset that God wants to do in our life, we need to surrender to his plan. Worship team, will you come today? I believe God wants to do a reset in your life. I believe God wants to do a reset in your life. And it begins with a holy moment. And I'm just going to, I'm asking right now, Holy Spirit, we just need a holy moment. Holy Spirit, right now in this place, Jesus, right now, we just ask for your presence. Right now, we turn our attention to you. Jesus, we give you our attention right now. Lord, all around this place, we give you our attention. Jesus, what is it that you want to do? What area? Is there an area in our life where we need a reset? Is there, is there something that you've been calling us to, something that you've been leading us to, but we've been resisting and saying, no, God, we need a moment with you. We need an encounter with you. We need to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We need your voice in this moment, in this place, in this time, Jesus. We need you. Some of you, God may have been spoken, speaking to you because you've been coming up with excuses. And God is saying, it's time to drop the excuses. Failure isn't final, and I'm ready to do a reset in your life. I want to do something in you, but God, I don't know. What if, I, what if it doesn't go well? What if I don't have the money? What if I don't have this? What if I don't have that? And God is saying, I am. <laughs> I am. I am capable. I am your provider. I am the one that leads and guides you. But God, I'm afraid. God says, I'll go with you. <laughs> Learn to value my presence. Some of these excuses need to go and we need to surrender today. If you're here in this place, maybe you're watching online and you say, you know, today there's some things I need to surrender to the Lord. There's been some things I've been hanging on to, some excuses I've been making. And today in this moment, I, I choose surrender today. In this moment, I choose surrender today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I need to surrender to the Lord. There's some things I need to give to him. There's some things I need to turn over to him. Maybe it's, maybe it's pain. Maybe it's, maybe it's some things that are holding you back. Pain, hurt, bitterness. Maybe some unfulfilled expectations that you've had for the Lord that have been holding you back. Today, I need to surrender. Father, we surrender to you today.
Lord, for those that maybe just need to give their lives to you, today we surrender our life to you. We ask you, Lord, for your forgiveness and for your grace and for your mercy. And Lord, we draw near to you. We drop our excuses and we turn our attention and we say, Lord, speak to us and draw us to you. Draw us to you in this moment. We surrender and we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.